Well, good morning, Soma. And it's good to be back with you once again. For those of you who have not met me, my name is Ryan McCammick, and I send you greetings from sunny Atlanta. Um, uh, you guys have been a part of Gospel Hope Church, which we are a church plant on the east side of Atlanta that has, uh, we are about to be two years old here in April. So praise God. Soma has partnered with us. Yeah. Yeah, and we still exist, so that's pretty good, right? Yeah. So Soma has partnered with us. You guys have sent teams down uh, to kind of learn and to partner along and kind of have a dialogue. We just had a team down. How many of you have been down on the Atlanta trips? I see several of you guys here. So yeah, okay, all right, about a half dozen of you or so. So uh, we're just grateful for Soma and your partnership. I have some pretty deep Indiana roots. Um, I was born in Lafayette, right off the campus of Purdue. Any Boilermakers in the house? All right, yeah. yeah. So my folks went there, and then we spent some time in Indy, and then up in South Bend. And then after my wife and I got married, we actually lived on the south side, uh, right over, let's see, by Thompson Road, essentially, Thompson Road down there. So we spent about two and a half years down there. So we are just really grateful to be here. I am so, every time I think of Soma, I, I echo the words of the Apostle Paul, you know, I thank God on every remembrance of you in your partnership of the gospel from the first day till now. So thank you so much for what you've done for Gospel Hope. And I hope if you guys kind of follow along with us, you say, man, we have a hand in that. We have a role to play in that. And God needs both goers, right? And God needs senders to be involved in his work in the world. So I want to talk today about something that I hope will be super helpful for you. Our church is actually preaching through the book of Exodus right now as well. So when, when Phil talked to me and said, hey, man, are you willing to talk about Exodus? I'm like, yeah, man, we're already working through it. Yeah. And this passage today in Exodus 4, I think has some wonderful things that the Lord wants to say to us. Anybody in here ever felt inadequate before? Yeah. Um, if you're taking notes today, the title of the message is simply this. The God of the inadequate. Can I just pause one more time and just quickly ask for the Lord's help? Lord, help us. Draw near. Speak to your people. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Oftentimes we can think of Martin Luther as the confident, outspoken, seemingly fearless leader of the Protestant Reformation. That would be an accurate statement. I mean, this, this dude was like a lion in some cases. I mean, he just, he just took no prisoners and didn't seem to be afraid of anything. But you know, that wasn't always the case. In fact, when Luther became a priest and was about to perform his very first mass, here's what happened. This was a big deal, and he actually had two years to prepare for this. They brought in family members and friends. Over two dozen people traveled miles and miles to see Luther perform this very first Mass. His father included was in the audience. But when Luther got up for that faithful moment that he had rehearsed and rehearsed over and over again for two years, he went to do it. And you know what happened? He couldn't perform the ceremony. He froze. He, 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 got, he got so scared and overwhelmed by the fact that he thought of himself as ministering before a holy God that he couldn't go through with it so much so that another priest had to come up and help him get through the ceremony. Have you ever been there? Have you ever deeply desired to serve the Lord? 
Like, I mean, really a good desire in your heart. You, you wanted to do something good for God, but in that moment you felt incompetent, incapable, ineffective. And I've certainly been there. Um, been in pastoral ministry now for, uh, I'm pushing 20 years. And, um, and there have been times where I have felt very inadequate. I'll tell you about one of the very first times that uh, my pastor in the church that I grew up asked me to serve. So it was a Sunday night service. How many of you went to Sunday night service growing up? All right, all right. Three of you that are above 25, great. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'd grown up in this church, and I was like, man, I know how this service goes, right? And the pastor says to me, will you kind of emcee the service, like lead the service? I'm like, oh, yeah, no sweat. Probably 19, 19 years old at that time. So I come up front, I've seen this service over and over, and in that church, the tradition was kind of you would call the ushers forward, you know what I'm talking about, and then you would call on one of them, pray, and then they would take the offering. So here I am, you know, kind of wet behind the ears, get up in the service, you know, ushers, if you're not, you know, trying to be, ushers, if you're now, come forward to receive the Lord's tithes and offering. Here they come. And I look over at this man that I've known since I'm a little kid, and I say, Mr. Morris, would, he was right over here, I remember this, would you mind praying for the offering for us? And um, he just looked up at me and said, no. <laughs> Hard pass, right? Yeah. Uh, now, we got through the service, but that was kind of my first ministerial experience, and I'm still in the ministry, so, you know, it didn't blunder anything. But can you identify? I mean, you were trying to do something good trying to do something in the church, trying to do something in the community, trying to share your faith, trying to minister to somebody, and it just didn't work out. And in that moment, you felt, man, I'm just not cut out for this. I'm just inadequate. Well, then take heart. You're in good company. Because that, I believe, is exactly how Moses felt in our passage today. Oftentimes, we think of Moses as the mighty deliverer of God. God's people, but really the story of Exodus is about God mightily delivering his people through an often reluctant, sometimes blundering Moses. In fact, the story of the Exodus reminds us that the Lord is not looking for capable people. He is looking for people who will believe that he is capable. God's not looking for all stars. God is looking for people who will believe that he is capable. As 2 Chronicles says, for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. He's looking for people who he can show himself strong through, not for strong people who can kind of be on his team and help him out. I love the way John Piper puts it. God is not a scout looking for the first draft choices to help his team win. He's an unstoppable fullback ready to run touchdowns for anyone who would give him the ball. So if you've ever felt inadequate for the task to which God has called you, then I believe the Lord has a word for you today. And let's just be honest, right? Let's be honest up front. We all got a little Moses in us, don't, don't we? We all got this sense of like, I'm not that awesome. We've all got up, looked in the mirror, dressed ourselves up, fixed whatever remaining hair we had, and said, I've seen better. That's not so great. The Lord, through this passage of scripture, reminds us simply this. We must trust God to work through us. We must trust God to work 
through us. Will you have the audacity to believe that God, the God of the universe, the one who flung the worlds into existence by a very word, will you have the audacity to believe that that God, the one who sent his son to die on the cross to rescue you from your sins and rose victoriously over the dead, conquering death and hell and the devil and all enemies that would ever stand in his way. Will you have the audacity to believe that that God can work through you? As inadequate as you might feel. So if you're taking notes this morning, is simply this. I want to tell you three things from this text, Lord willing, about the impressive God of unimpressive people. Number one, God works through us in spite of our failures. Back in chapter three, if you were following along in your, in your if you've been here for the Exodus series, the Lord appeared miraculously to Moses and spoke to him from the burning bush, announcing his intention to deliver his people from slavery. Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I have observed you and I and has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise, this is God speaking, that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So the almighty God says this to Moses. You would think that after hearing this extraordinary announcement from the Lord himself that Moses would be raring to go. But unfortunately, not so much. Look at the very first words out of Moses' mouth in chapter number four. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So the Lord personally guaranteed that he would deliver his people. And skeptical Moses responds with unblushing doubt. But God, in his grace, did not simply leave this skeptical servant. Instead, he provides Moses with some powerful signs. Look at verse 2 of Exodus chapter 4. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. And the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it up by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. And then again, verse number six, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside the cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So God gives Moses these signs. And just to be clear, God tells Moses why he gives him these signs. Verse number five that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Woo! I mean, that's, that's quite a scene. Moses says, Lord, I don't know if they're going to listen to me. And God says, oh yeah, throw down that staff. And Moses runs away. Oh no, go pick it up now. He picks it up, becomes a staff again. Put your hand in your coat, puts it in. Take it out. It's leprous. Whoa. Put it back in. Take it back out. Not leprous. Whoa. I mean, God is doing these miracles. And he says, and by the way, Moses, they'll believe me. I've given you these signs for that very reason. So now Moses should be just ready to go. So how does he, armed with these miracles, respond? 
respond to the word of the Almighty God. Verse number 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my God, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Another excuse. And as we'll see in a moment, Moses is not done. In fact, if you read this passage carefully, every time God and Moses are interacting, everything that comes out of Moses' mouth is basically this. Lord, you've got the wrong guy. Every time he speaks, he's essentially saying, Lord, you've got the wrong guy. And in a sense, Moses has good reason for this belief. Remember what landed him in Midian in the first place? Remember, he's not in Egypt. Because when he tried to deliver God's people, it didn't turn out so well. Back up several chapters or several years, or 40 to be exact, back to Egypt. And here's what happens. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. One day, when Moses has grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So Moses finds out, you know, that there's oppression in the land and he has a good desire i'm gonna set god's people free and so he takes matters into his own hand look at verse 12 he looked this way and that and seeing no one he struck down the egyptian and hit him in the sand but moses's liberation strategy didn't go like he wanted it to verse number 15 of chapter 2 when pharaoh heard of it he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. So listen to this. So not only had Moses failed in his attempt to bring justice to his people, he failed to trust the Lord when God asked him to do it again. Put yourself in Moses' shoes. I mean, you tried it, it didn't work, and now God speaks to you again and you're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. No doubt, years later, as Moses reflected on this period of life, he could have written one word over it. F-A-I-L-U-R-E. For those of you that aren't so good at spelling, that's failure. He would have thought of this period of his life and said, I am a failure. But we've all been there, haven't we? Are there not seasons in your life that you cringe to think about? I mean, as you look back, like you don't even like to think about that period in your life. Are there personal failures that haunt you even years after they've happened? You're like, why did I do that? And the consequences just keep on coming for dumb choices that you made a decade ago. Are there failures in ministry that are still a source of embarrassment? Why? That was terrible counsel I gave. I shared the gospel with that person. I just butchered them in the process. I, I think of sermon. My sermons, honestly, they have a shelf life of about 18 months. Because if I look back at a sermon like more than like 18 months ago, I'm like, that was a hack. That was terrible. You know, are there not things in your life that are embarrassments and sense and, and make you sense a, a feeling of inadequacy? Maybe it's a failure in a relationship. Maybe it's a failure in character. 
Maybe it's a failure to stick something out. Maybe it's a failure to believe God's word. Is there not something or some themes in all of our life that tempt us to, like Moses, say, I am a failure? But here's the thing. In spite of Moses' failures, God was far from done with him. I mean, we know the rest of the story, right? In fact, it was after Moses' failures to trust the Lord that a couple of chapters later, God says, Exodus chapter 6, verse number 1, but the Lord says to Moses, now, an important word there, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. It is if God is saying, Moses, all of those failures were necessary. Now you are ready. Listen to this very carefully. Sometimes we need to taste failure so that we know the true source of our success. Sometimes we need to taste all those embarrassing moments from our past to know that our success is not rooted in our own ability, but it is rooted in the character and the power of God. Just look at how God talks about the rescue of his people. Back up to chapter 3 and notice all the eyes. Is this up on the, on the screen, by the way? No? Chapter 3, verse 7? Negatory? So far, so good. Okay. I was going to have you participate in this here. You can flip. Exodus 3, verse number 7. Go there. Scroll in your Bibles. Yes. I have stopped saying turn in your Bibles. Scroll. Oh, you guys got pew Bibles. Okay. Turn in your Bibles. Exodus 3. There it is. All right. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to notice all the eyes here. In fact, I want you to say them with me. Okay, you ready? Can everybody see the screen? Yes? Okay. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Verse 7. Have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land of a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the... Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, we'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This dude's bad. God is essentially saying, Moses, don't get it twisted. Yes, I am calling you to follow my directions, but I am the one who will do the delivering. Listen, your failures do not limit God's power. Your failures do not limit God's power. Sometimes we get the notion in our heads that God only works through people with perfect track records. But this simply is not the story of scripture. God used Jacob, whose name literally means deceiver, to create his people. 
God used Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, as he toppled the powerful city of Jericho. God used Peter, who denied Jesus three times as the pillar of the early church. And God used Paul, public enemy number one of his people, to take the gospel to the Gentile world. So yes, you probably have some skeletons in your closets and balls you have dropped. But that doesn't mean that God cannot use you. In fact, the opposite is true. Remember the story of John Mark? So here's Paul and Barnabas, the first missionaries, right? They go out on their missionary journey, and they take this young man named John Mark with them. And for some reason, we're not told why, on the journey, John Mark goes home. They get back. They're getting ready to go on trip number two. Paul and Barnabas come together and say, all right, let's get our bags all packed. Let's get our itinerary set. And Barnabas says, all right, man, I'll go get John Mark. And and Paul says, "Uh, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Who'd you say? I'm going to go get John Mark, says Barnabas. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. John Mark's not coming with us. I mean, that dude's a quitter. That guy is useless. He is not coming with us. And these two godly men, the, the dissension is so sharp between them that Paul says, basically, man, if you're taking, Bar- if you're taking John Mark, you're not going with me. And they split. So Paul takes Silas, and Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go out on these separate missionary journeys. Now, it's kind of like a sad note in the story of the missionary expansion of the gospel, but then you get to the very end of Paul's life. I mean, think about John Mark for a minute. I mean, man, it's rough when the Apostle Paul calls you a failure. I mean, that don't look good on anybody's resume. What did Paul say about you? Failure. But then at the very end of Paul's life, it's one of the sweetest notes. And you you, you miss it if you don't know the context. Paul's getting ready to die. His swan swan song in 2 Timothy. And he says this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Bring Mark with you. Why? For he is useful to me in the ministry. Some of you look at your past. And it feels very John Mark-esque. You've got failure inadequate written all over it but listen to this very carefully the god of the bible is in the business of transforming the useless into useful let's not be so proud to believe somehow that our past mess-ups somehow prevent god's future work in us your failures do not limit god's power number two Not only does God work in us in spite of our failures, but God works through us in spite of our weaknesses. Just that Moses' failures that make him feel inadequate, it's also his weakness. Look a little more carefully at his excuse in verse number 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And since Moses is saying, God... I can't do what you're asking me to do. I got a D in speech class. And this was not just a passing concern. This was not just little some like random excuse that that Moses thought out. It was a burning passion in his heart. Like he really felt inadequate because of this. And we know this because he kept on coming back to it. Verse number chapter 6. Look at verse 12. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How shall Pharaoh listen to me? Why? For I'm uncircumcised lips. I can't talk good. 
Verse number six, or chapter six, verse 30. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I have, um, um, I, can't, I can't talk good. Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Moses was fixated on this weakness. He couldn't get past his own limitations. But Moses' flaws did not seem to dishearten the Lord in the least. So Moses keeps saying, I'm not a good speaker. And God's like, all right, man. Chapter four, verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, who has made your mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. In other words, our weakness does not nullify God's strength. And you may not be good at certain things, but your weakness does not nullify God's strength. Even when Moses went so far to say this, chapter 4, verse 13, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And this is where God about smacked him. God did send Aaron, but in sending Aaron, he makes it clear that, look, I'm not sending you Aaron because he's such a good speaker. That's kind of irrelevant in one sense. Look at verse 15. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth. And with his mouth, you will teach, but what, 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 man, this is ironic. We'll teach you both what to do. The principle is this. The Lord's work is not dependent on our ability. Isn't that good news? Stop and think about that for a minute. The Lord is not dependent on our ability. He is able to work through ordinary, flawed, weak, unimpressive people like you and I. God's extraordinariness shines most brightly through the ordinariness of people. We see God's extraordinariness through our own ordinariness. Any Indiana Jones fans here? Okay, all right, yeah, all right. We're in Indiana, so you should be an Indiana Jones fan. So at the end of number three, the Holy Grail one, there's this scene at the end, and, and the bad guy and Indy and his crew are chasing after the Grail, and they finally get there, and there's this Knight Templar guarding it. And the bad guy sees this big thing of cups, and he looks around, and he finds the most ornate, gorgeous cup and he picks it up and he says surely surely this must be the cup of the king and he takes a drink out of it and in classic 90 or early 2000s cgi style he melts right and the knight templar standing there says the classic line he has chosen poorly then indy being the wise biblical scholar that he is says no 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 it's not going to be a fancy cup he was just the son of a carpenter so he goes and finds the simplest cup this little wood chalice and he fills it with water and he takes a drink and nothing happens to him and the knight templar says you have chosen wisely listen there's something profound in there it's namely this the lord isn't enamored with fancy cups he simply desires to make his power known through ordinary vessels like you and I. You didn't know Indiana Jones was such a theologian, did you? Yeah. Trust Indy. Except for the crystal skull thing. Forget that ever happened. Just block that from your mind. It's really borrowing what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The question for us is simply this. Are you ordinary enough for God to use? 
Are you average enough for God to work through you? Are you flawed enough? Are you weak enough for God to show his glory through you? Weakness does not disqualify you from ministry. It qualifies you for it. If you are weak, sign up. Because that is the type of person who God loves to show his glory through. Really, this point should not have been God works in spite of our weakness. It really should be God works through us because of our weakness. Number three, and finally, God works through us for his glory. So although God was fully aware of Moses' failures and weaknesses, he still chose to work through him. This is mind-blowing to me. The Lord, being all-powerful, could have chosen to deliver Israel without Moses. Stop and think about that for a second. Couldn't he have just, like, walked in and, like, killed Pharaoh? Did he really need Moses to go talk to Pharaoh? He just talked to Moses from a burning bush. He could have talked to Pharaoh directly. And yet, God, in his great wisdom and mercy, said, No, Moses, I'm going to deliver my people, but I'm going to do it through you. So after all of Moses' protests, that the people would not listen... God asked a profound question to Moses. Verse number two of Exodus chapter three. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? I'm sorry, that's chapter four. I love this detail. God not only asked Moses to be something he is not. He, I'm sorry, God does not ask Moses to be something he is not. He simply, he doesn't send some magical talisman from heaven. He doesn't imbue Moses with some sort of supernatural strength. He just says to Moses, hey man, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Moses answer, a staff. It's literally just a stick. It's a piece of wood. But God uses that stick in the hand of Moses to discredit the musicians of Pharaoh to turn the Nile to blood, to summon gnats that would infest the land, to call down lightning and hail from the sky, to bring locusts on Egypt and to part the Red Sea. This is astounding. The almighty creator of the universe chooses to display his glory through what weak people have in their hands. God does remarkable things through, through, through unremarkable people. What's in your hand? This fills me with hope because here's why. As I look at the world today, there are issues that require God-sized action to change. Is that not true? I think of the stain of racism that still divides our country. I think of the millions of unborn lives that are quenched before they even draw a breath. I think of the decline of the church, particularly in urban communities. I think of the terror suffering of millions of orphans and refugees worldwide i think of the nearly three billion people three billion with a b who not only do not know jesus but have no access to jesus and those problems are god's side they require god's side solutions i don't have the strength to wrap my mind around it but here's the thing i believe I believe because of what this passage of scripture teaches us is that because of that, some of this darkness will be pushed back because of people in this room. Not because you're particularly awesome, no offense. But because you're ordinary and God loves to exalt himself 
through ordinary people. God loves to do extraordinary things, remarkable things, through ordinary, unremarkable folks like you and I. We are literally the hands and feet of Christ in the world today. He's going to get the job done through us. That's amazing. At the Mechanic Homestead, where I have a gaggle of children, um, eight to be exact, uh, we do pizza night, usually every Thursday night, and I am the pizza chef du jour. And it's not, you know, like, look, we're not just slopping like pepperoni on there, all right? After years, I have honed my craft, and we make some good pizzas every time at the Mechanic House on Thursday evenings. Sometimes... When I'm getting the pizza ready, actually every week this happens. My four-year-old comes along and she says, Daddy, can I help? And because I'm a good father, I say, sure, sweetie, you can help. But, but here's the thing. Don't tell her. Don't tell her. She doesn't really help. I mean, whatever she does, like, I kind of have to redo because she kind of messes it up in her process of helping. But, but here's the amazing thing. After we get all the pizzas ready, put them in the oven, and they come out, and they say to Felicity, hey, what was that? And she will say with unblushing sincerity and enthusiasm, we made pizza. But the reality is, is we didn't really make pizza. It was really daddy made pizza, but he worked through me. In allowing me to do it. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what God could do. My daughter can't make pizza. She's four years old. You can't do all these things that, that, that are God-sized. But here's the thing. God invites you to participate in what he's doing in the world. He says, you, not, you might not have my power. You don't have my power. But I can work through you for my glory to do amazing, extraordinary things in the world. Friends, as weak as you may be, the God of heaven intends to put his display on through you. The story reminds us that God got his work done. In spite of Moses' failures, in spite of his weaknesses, but this is not just Moses' story, it is our story as well. Just like Moses, we all had significant failures in our past. Ephesians chapter 2 Verse number one, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It doesn't get any worse than that. You had all kinds of failures and baggage and skeletons in your closet. And we, like Moses, were not particularly impressive. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. God is basically saying, I didn't save you because you were particularly good. I didn't save you because you had a lot to offer. I saved you in spite of your weakness, in spite of your sins. And we, because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, like Moses, can be used in extraordinarily significant ways. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. According to this passage, even though you have failures, even though you're unimpressive, God has good works for you to do. Listen, if you have trusted in the work of Christ, you have not just been saved from something, you have been saved for something. 
God came and rescued you from sin, rescued you from his wrath for good works. There is purpose to your life now. And you, like Moses, I think God is basically saying, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What is that darkness that needs to be pushed back? What is in your hand? You don't have to be awesome. You don't have to be capable. You just have to believe that he is capable and he can work through you. Now, I realize that ministry can be daunting. But hear this, church. God saved you for this. God saved you for this. And I believe that because of the Spirit's work in you, in you, Soma Church, neighborhoods will be transformed. Families will be mended. The marginalized will be served. Churches will be planted. And people will be saved. Brothers and sisters, will you believe that there are good works in your future? Jesus died and he rose and he lives interceding on your behalf to show himself the great God of the inadequate. Let's revel in our inadequacies so that we may revel in the adequacy of the one who came and died to save us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. That you work through weak people like us. I pray that we would be encouraged to go out, to serve, to minister just with what's in our hands. Empowered by your spirit. With your great might working through us. I pray that your name would be exalted in Indy and around the world because of what you're doing in these ordinary folks. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We exalt you. And we give your name praise. Man, before I say amen, I just challenge you with this. Will you believe that God wants to do something through you? Maybe there's something in your heart right now that you're saying, man, I, I've been fearful to step into this area of ministry because I just don't feel up to the job. But maybe God through his word is speaking to you and saying, no, it's, it's not about your ability, but it's about my ability through you. Just talk to God about that. And Kent will come.